as always, thank you for tuning in today to our Wednesday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we will be continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. Getting down to some really neat things coming up here with the uh, ark being captured and all that fun stuff. Now, the first verse here in chapter 4 is really a summation of the very end of chapter 3 here. We read in verse 19 of Samuel chapter 3. So Samuel grew, the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as the prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. And so the meaning here is that God is now raising up someone else. He has already anointed Samuel to be the guy to take over when Eli dies. And so he is the next high priest in line. He's going to be the next mouthpiece for God, the next judge of Israel. And uh, he's going to be that spokesman for the Lord. And so it says, it continues on and it says, Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the army in the field. Now, when you look up where the Philistines came from, there's a lot of misinformation out there that they came from Crete, that they came from the area of Greece and stuff like that. That's not true. Um, According to the word of God of Amos 9, verse 7, it says, Are you not like the people of Ethiopia to me? O children of Israel, says the Lord, did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt, the Philistines from Kaftor, and the Syrians from Kerr? In Jeremiah 47, verse 4, it also tells us the Philistines came from Kaftor. Now, in Genesis chapter 10, in the table of nations, we are told that the Philistines come from the son of Mizraim. And uh, in Genesis 10, 14, it says, and Kalahuam who came from the Philistines and Kaftorim. So the Kaftorites are mentioned in the table of nations in Genesis 10, 13 through 14. In 1 Chronicles 1, 11 through 12, as well as later history, such as Josephus himself in the Jewish antiquities, they place them, uh, uh, Kaftorites, within Egypt. As a matter of fact, Josephus says he describes them living by the Nile. And so this is where the Kaftorites came from. Uh, the Katurites were one of the Egyptian people whose cities were destroyed during an Ethiopic war. And so uh, through Josephus, through the word of God, and through other traditions and other uh, uh, targums of Aramaic targums, they place um, uh, the Katurites, who are later going to become the Philistines, there in the area of the Nile, there in Egypt. And so there are some who say they come from Crete, but that's, that's not true, and that's been disproven. The Philistines came from the Kaftorites, and the Kaftorites came down, and there are five cities there that um, the Philistines had in the land there of Israel. One was uh, in the area of Gath, Ashdod, Ascalon, and Gaza, and Ekron. So those are the five cities, the kind of the beachhead that the Philistines had in the land there of Israel. 
And so this was the area of Judah. It was given to the tribe of Judah, this area that the Philistines have come up. But because Judah, like many of the other tribes, did not have faith, did not have faith in the land that God gave them, and so they were afraid of the giants of the land. They were afraid of those who had greater strength. They were afraid of the, um, uh, uh, the chariots that were made of iron. And so their eyes were on the people and things, and their eyes weren't on the Lord, and they weren't trusting God. And so now we have Israel, it says, went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Um, this is deep inside Israel territory at this point. Uh, it's north of where the Philistines had established their cities in the south. And Ebenezer is in the land of Ephraim. So the Philistines are now going deeper into the land of Israel, harassing the Jews. Harassing the Jews. And so Ebenezer here means stone of help. Aphek means fortress here. Um, the Philistines are going deeper and deeper Uh, into Israeli territory. This also tells us that the Philistines aren't really great in number yet. They don't have uh, enough people to take over over the whole land of Israel. So little by little, as they gain more strength in numbers, they go deeper into the land to harass the Jews. And so it says in verse 2, Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they had joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. Um, so there's a battle, Israel loses, they lose 4,000 men. Um, just like uh, back then, once it got dark, it was kind of like someone blows the whistle and says, okay, time out, and so they stop, you know, the battle, and they wait until daylight the next day, and the battle is won or lost depending on who flees the scene, okay? And so until some army flees, they will continue to battle day in and day out. And once it becomes night, they stop. They stop. And so in verse 3, it says, And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? The question is, why did God allow that? And the answer is, is because their heart isn't right. Their heart isn't right. And you'll be able to see it right here. It says, It says, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes, not when he comes, who's the one that that dwells between, they're on the mercy seat, between the cherubim on the mercy seat? God does. So let's bring this golden box, this good luck charm, so when it comes, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. There's no relationship with God there. It is somehow thinking that they're special because they have this special presence of God, which they think is in a box. How often we put God in a box, that he can only work this way or that way, and so long as I have that box, if I have that, everything's going to be okay. We do this. We do this with our little checklist before the Lord. Well, certainly this will be a good day because I got up early. I sought the Lord. I read my Bible. You know, I was singing praise songs when I went out the door. You know, I prayed for a few people. Certainly this is going to be a good day. I have checked off my little box and I've put God in a box. And so certainly, and then something happens and you feel defeated. Why did God allow this to happen? I've got the box. It's not about that. It's about a relationship that we carry with him to bring him glory throughout our whole lives. Remember, we have taught time and time again that the purpose of every believer is to make God's name great. And as you're making God's name great, 
You know what you're doing? You're bringing them glory. You're bringing them glory. And we can bring God glory through very, very difficult times. It's not just through good times. Through very difficult times, we can bring him glory. And notice what it says here. It says, right here it says, and when it comes among us, why are they calling God it? Because they see this box, this Ark of the Covenant, as nothing more than a good luck charm. It's become superstitious. It's now become it. It has now become what? An idol. If I have this in my presence, certainly we'll win then. They don't say that the Lord will save us. They speak of the ark as it will come, and it may save us from the hand of our enemies. It, not the Lord. They've lost this understanding of who God is. And so they're probably thinking about, hey, I remember reading somewhere in the Old Testament, I remember someone sharing one time that didn't Moses bring the ark before them into battle with the Midianites and didn't Joshua take the ark and, and, and you know, march around six times from Jericho and, and look at the ark was before? Yeah, but God told them to do that. Nowhere does God tell them to bring the ark out into the battlefield. They're doing it on their own. It's a lot like um, when you go off on your own. And then you ask God to bless it. As opposed to sitting before the Lord and saying, what is it that you want us to do? We got whooped by the Philistines. Were we not supposed to go out? Lord, what do you want us to do? And instead of bringing the ark to them, they should have all left, gone to Shiloh, and they should have sought the Lord. And said, okay, what is it that you want us to do? We'll flee, we'll do whatever you want us to do. But whatever we do, may it bring you glory. Not bring us Israel glory. And so they're kind of looking at the Ark of the Covenant as a good luck charm. In Proverbs 19.3, it says, The foolishness of a man twists his way, and his heart frets against the Lord. Here we have men twisting and rationalizing why God was against them. Instead of fasting, instead of praying, instead of being uh, silent before God, and just saying, Lord, until you speak, we, we don't move. Tell us what it is you want us to do. We repent. We're seeking you. And all through God's word, it tells us if you seek him, you will find him. But they're not really seeking God in the way that they're supposed to. Instead, they're going, oh, God's in that box. Let's bring him over here. And they thought that they had sought God because, oh, he's here. Let's bring him over here. That's a way of us going ahead of God and saying, I have this wonderful idea. Now bless it. As opposed to going, Lord, I'm done with my ideas. No more my ideas. You tell me your idea and bless that. And I'll follow that. So in verse 4, he says, So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts. That's about 20 miles away. And who dwells between the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And so they send to, to Shiloh for the Ark. Um, Eli obviously doesn't have the, uh, the courage of being the high priest, of being able to say this is not right, um, and trying to refrain his sons from being able to take the ark. And so, um, so Eli must have given his permission, and even if he didn't, by allowing them, he does give them their permission. Anybody who knows to do right and doesn't do it to him, it is sin, the Bible says. And so being the high priest, he should have stopped it. He could have, but he didn't. 
And uh, Eli must have known it was wrong. And if he didn't know that it was wrong, he's guilty of being ignorant of God's word. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5, it says, But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses. You don't get to choose for him where he gets to dwell. He gets to choose. Out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. So you don't get to say, God needs to be over here. No, God gets to choose his dwelling place, so you know where you should go. You don't get to choose for him. You don't get to choose for him. Later on, God would say, you shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. How often we get into trouble because we do what's right in our own eyes. That's where submission comes in. We submit our will to the will of God. And so um, he goes on and he says, And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. See, someone passing by Israel's camp would have thought something tremendous, something wonderful was happening. A lot of emotion is going on there. And we can think of maybe a great worship service or a great church service. And many would think, wow, they're really trusting in God. But by all appearances, it was really nothing was going on there. All their noise and excitement meant nothing because it wasn't grounded in God's word. There's a lot of emotionalism that can take place in any church service, in any worship service. A big hubbub, look at all the people there, look how they're praising God, look at this, and look at all the excitement. Okay, but where is what they're doing based in the word of God? Where is the word of God being preeminent among them? How is God getting the glory because it's actually based on the word of God? That's what we have to look at here. This church service that's taking place here is 100% based on emotionalism. They're hooping and hollering. They're even probably praising God. Evoking his name over their soon-to-be triumph, over their enemies, the Philistines. They're naming and they're claiming. Yet their celebration is not based on the word of God. At all. They might be dancing all around, jumping up and down. None of this has been given the word so they can walk straight. And that's Eli's failure. This was Hophni and Phinehas' failure as well. As priests before the people, you have failed in your calling. You do not give the people the word of God so that they can walk straight in obedience before their God. You're not giving it to them. So they're doing what's right in their own eyes. And that's never going to bring God glory. And it's never going to bring victory. So in verse 6 it says, Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. How long ago was that? about 350 years ago. And some guy, somehow God's reputation had come to the Philistines. Why? Because they are directly from that area of Egypt. That's where they came from. They know all about that. And so even in their own history, they have some history of where the Jews came from and what area they came from. And they know all about the reputation of God. How did they know that? There's always a remnant. God always has 
a mouthpiece somewhere. I don't think it was the Jews that told them about their God and where they came from. They heard somehow, some way. And I would gather to believe it was probably more from the Egyptians themselves. They've heard, they've carried the stories, they've heard the stories before. And just like stories over time, there's some things that aren't really correct here. Because it says right here, Woe to us who deliver us from the hand, who, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods, plural. These are the gods who struck the Egyptians. It wasn't the gods, it was the God. But they see it in view of their gods. This is how they believe. So we have gods, they have gods, every nation have gods, and so the Israelites also must have gods, plural, but no, they have a God, singular. He is the I am which means I was, I am, I will always be. It speaks of the eternality of God. So that's why he calls himself the I am. And so the Philistines recognize what the Lord has done for Israel in their past. And they don't even try to invoke their gods into it. They already know that this God is greater than their gods. Because they say, woe unto us. Why? You have gods. Why don't you worship them? You've already won once. And there's something to this that they understand that their gods really do pale in the stories that they've heard of Israel's God. But in verse 9, they recognize they're in trouble, but they encourage one another, be strong, conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. And it kind of tells you a little bit of, of the fighting that has been going on here, that when you lose, it's not as though they come in and wipe everybody out. It's okay, you lost. We're the big boys on the block, so you have to serve us. And he's reminding them that if they lose, that they're going to have to serve the Jews, the Hebrews. And the way he is manipulating here, he's basically saying it would be better to die than to do that. Their pride just wouldn't allow that to happen. And so then in verse 10, it says, So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. There, were, there was a very great slaughter, and there fell 30,000 foot soldiers. Whoa, 30,000. That's a lot. Much more than the four the, the day before, which I thought was a lot. Now 30,000 die. I think God really wanted to send this message that unless you're completely obedient to my word and do things my way, it's going to lead into a great disaster. And how many of us can take that personally? How many of us have not listened and followed the word of God, even though you knew the word of God, and it led to a great disaster? Because God can't bless and make you successful when you're disobedient. Because if he did, guess what would happen? You would continue to be disobedient. There has to be a lesson. And here's the thing. It seems like a good cause. The invaders are coming into the land. Seems like a great cause. However, remember this. A good cause often suffers for the sake of bad men that undertake it. You could be being disobedient to the word of God, being disobedient in your submission to God, and then all of a sudden a cause comes, and it's a righteous cause. But guess what? It doesn't matter, because your relationship with God is out of whack. 
And God's not going to bless you for taking on that cause. It's a righteous cause, I understand that, but you're not right with God, so God's not going to bless that. He's not going to bless that. Great slaughter, 30,000 men die. It's a tremendous defeat. In verse 11, also the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. And you know what? They died as they lived, in the very act of being dishonoring, displeasing, and disobedient to God. That's how they lived their life. That's how they died. That's how they died. And then in verse 12, it says, Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line. The, the, the Jews have a tradition that this man from Benjamin was Saul. But there's no biblical record of that. That is strictly their tradition. That is strictly their tradition. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day, came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Again, that's about 20 miles. And so, uh, verse 13, Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for his sons. Does your word say that? Yeah. He trembled for the ark of God. And when the men came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. Eli knows he had let the ark go on a very foolish, superstitious errand, and his conscience tells him that things are going to end badly. And so because of that, his heart trembles for the ark of the Lord. He sees this man coming from the battlefield. He's nervous. He needs to know what's going on. He doesn't have very good vibes about it. Verse 14, when Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli, Eli was 98 years old. His eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle. And I fled today from the battle line. And he said, what happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your sons, Hophni, Phinehas are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died. For the man was old and heavy and he had judged Israel for 40 years. Now, he fell over backwards at the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died. Eli fell over and died at the news of the ark being captured, not the news of his sons being killed. It wasn't the news of Israel's loss in battle or the slaughter of the army or the news or the death of his own sons which killed him. It was the news that the Ark of the Covenant of God had been lost. God had already told Eli that his sons were going to die on the same day. He already told him that. And so he already told him that, but he didn't tell him that he was also going to die on that same day. And God sometimes does this when it comes to prophecy. Well, usually when it comes to prophecy. He doesn't tell you everything. He just tells you some of the things. But he doesn't tell you everything. And nowhere in that prophecy, when that man of God came and told him this, did he ever say, and you're going to die on that same day as well. He just said that your two sons are going to die on the same day. And he just let, God just left, left him, uh, let him live long enough to know that, that prophecy came true before all of a sudden he called him Neither death nor 
Well, that's all we have time for today on this Wednesday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Oh,